Auto, a mutant nexus at the base of the foothills of the Rocky Mountains, about a mile above the sea level portion of the Babylon Matrix, where we are nestled just beneath the beautiful Flatiron Mountains. This is Jonathan Zapp of ZappOracle.com, and welcome to this podcast of Zidge, dealing with zones of inner jeopardy. And this was edited by Austin Iredale, copyright 2011 Jonathan Zapp. Zones of inner jeopardy, zidge, are those familiar times when we are inwardly stressed, our thoughts and emotions are agitated, and we may be enveloped by dark moods. The causes of zidge are various, and usually there are multiple causes, such as metabolic disequilibria, social sexual issues, financial hardship, disturbances in the force, and so forth. A note on zidge terminology. Zidge is used in this essay to refer to both zones of inner jeopardy and a way of dealing with them. Zidge can be singular, the way of dealing, or one particular zone of jeopardy, or plural, zones of inner jeopardy. Of course, we could talk about zidge uh, using psychiatric jargon. But many of these clinical labels amount to little more than what my former writing mentor, E.L. Doctorow, uh, called the industrialized form of storytelling. Industrialized labels for inner states also seem to be invitations to those over-friendly multinational pharmaceutical companies to help us out with lifelong prescriptions to neuropharmaceuticals. Pill pushers like to talk with highly confident vagueness about chemical imbalances in the brain, requiring chemical solutions. But at the time of this writing, or this recording, there are exactly zero tests for these supposed chemical imbalances in the brain. And you can find documentation to back that up, widely available online, such as the article in The Guardian, from the UK, brainwashed mental illnesses are caused by chemical imbalances in the brain. Right? Question mark. Wrong, says Craig Nunes, N-E-W-N-E-S. So when you hear chemical imbalance in the brain, you're getting a bit of industrialized mythology that has a scientific ring to it, but which actually has no more scientific validity than saying there are gremlins in your head. Of course, our bodies and brains are fluctuating systems. But chemical imbalance in the brain is an industrial spell designed to disassociate you from your inner state. Instead of a soul, you have an unbalanced tank of chemicals in your head, and should therefore defer to the chemistry pros to set it right. If you're one of those crazy backward people like me who prefer not to be treated as an imbalanced tank of chemicals, then Zidge is an alternative approach. While chemical imbalance in the brain is, is based on no tests, Zidge is based on a test with an extremely high level of validity, your self-appraisal of the degree of turbulence in your inner state. There are no formulas, chemical or otherwise, with Zidge. Only suggested formulations I've employed which you are free to use, modify, or reject. It is assumed that Zidge practitioners are their own alchemists overseeing the unique inner cauldron of their psyches. A great life skill that Zidge encourages is the ability to recognize and adapt to your zones of inner jeopardy. When I recognize my degree of inner jeopardy, I prefer to think in terms of weather rather than the simpler and uglier analog of the chemical tank. 
Weather is always fluctuating. Some days are sunny, others are cloudy and turbulent. And sometimes there are storms, even hurricanes. Long-term weather, climate, is your general disposition. While short-term weather can shift dramatically on a daily basis, disposition usually shifts gradually like climate change. For example, studies show that after about age 50, many people undergo a change of inner climate toward greater positivity and feelings of satisfaction with life. 18 to 50 seems to be a climate of jeopardy in many lives in which zizh are intensified. The 40s seem to be the high suicide decade. But if you make it to 50, inner climate usually becomes more sunny. The way of zizh can be as simple or complex as you want it to be, and both simple and complex versions can be potently effective in different ways. The simple version of zizh can be as minimalist as a 0 to 10 scale on which you evaluate your current state of inner jeopardy. With the simple version, we put causes to the side and can also put to the side any additional techniques to deal with zizh. All you do is check in with yourself when you sense a mood shift and give a 0 to 10 on your state of inner jeopardy, where 0 is a neutral content state and 10 is suicidal despair. Calibrate the scale any way you want to. For example, instead of numbers, you can have a color spectrum. That's actually what I've been using recently. Instead of the coldness of a numerical scale, you can wear an imaginal mood ring that turns from yellow to orange to red when inner jeopardy intensifies. Turning your zizh metric into an exquisite imaginal object, as we'll discuss soon, can be a powerful way to employ it. If you adopt the simple method, you could stop reading now and create profoundly life-changing results. This very moment, you can make a decision to carry a zizh scale, perhaps in the form of an exquisite imaginal device, with you for the rest of your life. Think of the Zij device as a survival tool in much the same way that a compass or a cell phone can be a survival tool. Every time you pull out your device and objectify your degree of inner jeopardy, you have added a dimension of metacognition, a profound layer of self-awareness that can exist as a buffer between you and the Zij. Such a change relates to the most essential difference between us and lower animals, self-awareness. A person who is aware of their zones of inner jeopardy is at a higher level of evolution than the person who is unconscious of them. When we aren't sufficiently self-aware of zones of inner jeopardy, we focus on outer causes and falsely attribute our inner turbulence as entirely caused by these external events or factors. We work them into storylines. I'm feeling this way because of money stress for example, and conveniently we forget that a few hours ago, when our financial situation was identical, we did not have these feelings, or they were only vaguely in the background. When we are in a zone of inner jeopardy, it feels acute, and we forget that it is actually a very common occurrence. Falling for the illusion that it is a time of special stress, we may feel entitled to self-medicate with food, spending substances, or generating interpersonal dramas to divert the inner jeopardy to outward causes and effects. It is quite common for people to relate to zones of inner jeopardy by unconsciously allowing themselves to be enveloped by them. We'll call this zizh envelopment. During envelopment, we are unconscious of the zizh as a thing in itself, but allow it to become our implicit context. 
Zij-dominated content becomes the frame of experience, and the unconscious person sees only what is within the frame. Dominated by the Zij, the unconscious person becomes like a puppet acting on the stage of the Zij. Very likely this will be the tired sort of puppet that has bags under his eyes and seems anxious, perhaps depressed. You can smell cheap whiskey on its hot, dusty little puffs of puppet breath. When I talk of the unconscious person who becomes a zidge-enveloped puppet, I refer to myself and almost everybody else. Consciousness can sometimes flow, but it is often a moment-by-moment achievement. It is all too easy to default back into unconsciousness. Invisible strings pull us, and we may become animated by drunken puppeteers that have us striking out at others and ourselves. Zidge-envelopment tempts us toward self-medication and a dark array of addictions, tormented relationships, and diminished timelines. Some will say that I am spreading a degrading stereotype of the diminished puppet lifestyle, or DPL, that comes with zidge-envelopment. While we should have compassion uh, for those who live with long-term DPL, we should also recognize that DPL is a construct, a construct that is often overdetermined by social and intrapsychic factors, but that, like any construct, can be taken apart. Some, however, are so accustomed to DPL that they mistake it for life itself. By keeping a Zij device with you, you ensure that you are not completely enveloped. As an imaginary grandparent informed about these concepts might say, a Zij device evaluation a day keeps the DPL away. The ability to measure the Zij gives you an unenveloped witness, a witness that can be like a star shining during a dark night of the soul. So if all you do is employ this simple version of Zij, then you have acquired a spiritual survival tool of inestimable value. Before we close out this section, on the simple version, let's talk about creating an imaginal Zij device. Creating imaginal objects in general can be a powerfully developmental practice at the cutting edge of human evolution. And I know that sounds like an extravagant statement, but you can see my document uh, or podcast, um, Pushing the Envelope, Boundary Expansion into Novelty in Personal and Evolutionary Contexts for um, much more on that theme. Creating an imaginal Zij device adds additional layers of value. Having a Zij device helps to create a better grounded relationship to the imaginal. To the, to the average, passively imaginative person, the imaginal is a flickering, unstable environment where images flash by with music video rapidity. Any sustained view of the imaginal is characterized by the, the migraine cam style of shaky handheld camera work spliced together with ADD-friendly editing. But a polished with use, well-realized imaginal object creates a still point within the imaginal and allows clarity and stability to emerge from the fluctuation. If your Zij device produces a numerical display, then you have involved both hemispheres. You have a visually aesthetic way of relating to number and measurement. The, but it's the visual part that brings in the right hemisphere, of course. The continuity of the imaginal object correlates with the continuity of your witness, your Zij self-awareness. One Zij pocket watch looks like a very finely made late 19th century gold pocket watch with an engraved lid. A button on the side releases the spring lock and the lid snaps open. As with all Zij watches, the crystal is made of anti-reflective coated synthetic sapphire, 
so that it is impervious to scratching and abrasion. Under the crystal of this pocket watch, there is an opalescent cloud of colors. When Jeopardy is elevated, the opalescent flashes of color tend to be red, orange, or yellow. When Jeopardy is low, the colors are cooler, blue and green. If you hold the watch at the right angle, you see a number, 0 to 10, superimposed on the opalescent cloud. This Zig pocket watch is an excellent design, but with its amorphous cloud of colors is a bit too mystical for me. I prefer um, an analog display, and the Zig pocket watch I use has a multi-textured machine turned dial of lustrous white gold alloy. The dial and the blued steel hand, hands are strongly influenced by the Swiss, Swiss watch company Brigat, and you can do a Google search for Brigat, which I wish was pronounced Bruget, which would sound so much better, but it's B-R-E-G-U-E-T. And readers may notice I have a little bit of an obsession with um, high-quality watches, and one reason is that these are the most fully realized objects that we can possibly come in contact with, unless we're an astronaut or something, um, and are dealing with, like, state-of-the-art, exotic, DARPA research stuff somewhere. But uh, otherwise, um, a high-quality watch is the most finely made object that you can come in contact with the most precision and the most thoughtfulness per square inch and the finest materials that you know the world's most expensive car couldn't begin to acquire like you know the world's most expensive car doesn't have windshields made out of synthetic sapphire but it's common for uh, it's almost universal now for a quality uh, watch to have that <coughs> Continuing, I particularly like um, the Bruguette Royal Marine watch, which costs about $14,000 in stainless steel and about $50,000 in white gold. Expensive, but compared to my Zig pocket watch, it's really a shoddy bit of ghetto bling. For example, the case, bezel, and chain of my Zig um, has been precisely machined from alloys made from the hearts of dying stars. In addition to high-tech ceramic um, ball bearings, many parts of the of the 88-joule movement are made of lightweight mithril to compensate for the super-density of the star core alloys. An oval cabochon dome of clear sapphire at the 6 o'clock position refracts opalescent colors in much the same way as the relatively crude first pocket watch. The point is, you have an infinite budget available for your Zig device, so I wouldn't stint on anything. Also, what works best for me with my Zig device is if the hand, instead of moving 360 degrees, is calibrated to move, sort of like a speedometer, uh, no more than 180 degrees. It moves clockwise toward the right, starting at 9 o'clock, then 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, etc. As Zig intensifies, um, and then it would max out at the 3 o'clock position, and then... and as, as Zij diminishes, it moves, the needle moves, the hand moves counterclockwise until it reaches zero, which would be the nine o'clock position. I would say more about my Zij pocket watch, but some design elements and functions must remain classified. As I've learned from, from a hard experience, it's unwise to fully disclose imaginal technology to the general public. As one imaginal technologist from back in the day sagely put it, keep it secret keep it safe. 
The more complex version of Zij adds two additional dimensions to the Zij practice. The first of these, Zij technology, involves experimentation and application of various methods for dealing with Zij. The second, Zij etiology, is a study of the various causes of Zij. Volumes can and have already been written about both of these. A famous example is Robert Burton's The Anatomy of Melancholy, published in 1621. The full title is The Anatomy of Melancholy, What It Is, With All the Kinds, Causes, Symptoms, Prognostices, Old English Spelling, and Several Cures of It. Three main partitions with their several sections, members, and subsections, philosophically, medicinally, historically, opened and cut up, and that's the end of the title. Uh, and we can see that it has, uh, that it, from that title, that it both addresses causes and technologies, i.e. cures. I've made my own contribution to this extensive literature and will provide some links um, at the end of the essay. Investigation of causes and techniques is invaluable work. I went through a six-year Jungian analysis when I was in my 20s, and that work has been ongoing. Having done all that, I'm a bit more inclined toward the simple version of Zij at the moment. For me, what's producing the most benefit currently is the use of my Zij pocket watch plus a simple strategy. Once my Zij level goes above a certain point, I know that my judgment has become all too fallible. At that point, there are three major ways I can respond. One is to go into simple Zij hunker down adaptation mode. I know that I am not in a reliable state to do global evaluations of my life, to make significant decisions, or to engage in emotionally charged discussions with others. Instead, this is often a time to stay focused on necessary work and enriching experiences. For example, if the Zij index is high, I, I will do just as good a job cleaning my space or doing the laundry as when it is low. If intuitively I sense that the Zij is laden with unexplored psychological content, then I can open a journal and start probing into my feelings and associations. I can do oracle readings, consult with spiritual allies, etc. If I feel that the Zij is not so laden with new psychological content, but is more of a problem in itself, then I can experiment with various symptomatic techniques for dealing with it. And you can see um, dealing with afflictive thoughts and feelings, which is a section in my document, A Guide to the Perplexed Interdimensional Traveler, available on the website. Also, I know that I am vulnerable to the most classic form of Zij self-medication, comfort eating. Therefore, I've added an additional function uh, to my Zij pocket watch that I recommend to others. And here's how it works. The same 0 to 10 scale can also display the degree to which I'm actually hungry. Some have called actual hunger, stomach hunger, and contrast it to mouth hunger, which is often emotional hunger and or an addictive desire to spike blood sugar. So before eating, I can pull out my Zij pocket watch and press the button to the left side of the case that switches it to hunger metrics. 0 would be starving, and 10 would be overstuffed. 4.5 is where true hunger begins. That point in the scale is defined by one of Michael Pollan's food rules. If you're not hungry enough to eat an apple, you're not really hungry. 4.5 is the apple hungry point on the scale, roughly a quarter after 11 if the dial were a clock face. If I find that my scale is at 8.7, nearly stuffed, and I want to eat, 
it's probably a good time to switch the watch back to Zig mode and see what sort of reading I get. Higher Zig scores are closely correlated with higher emotional or mouth hunger for many of us. In a hunger metric mode, I prefer 12 o'clock to be the neutral position, which is marked 5 on the dial. 4.5, apple hungry, is slightly to the left, and 0, the 9 o'clock position, would be starving. As satiety increases, the hand moves clockwise so that 3 o'clock is 10 on the scale, overstuffed. Recently, I changed my Zig device to display hunger as a colored light glowing beneath a magnifying lens set into the dial at the 6 o'clock position. Red is stuffed. Orange and yellow are more moderate zones of satiety. Hunger begins with blue phasing into green with apple hunger. I check in often with this edge device, especially if I'm thinking about eating to see what color is glowing. If I'm not in the blue-green zone, then I probably shouldn't eat. I illustrate how my Zig device works as an example, but not as any kind of formula or rule. The more creative and individual your device is, the more powerful it will be. To paraphrase Thomas Jefferson, the price of freedom from Zig envelopment is eternal vigilance with Zig monitoring. Zig supplementals. Zig began as a brief Facebook posting on zones of inner jeopardy. A number of posters had very interesting things to say in an ensuing forum. Becca, seems there's a lot of this going on right now, individually and collectively, so you've nailed the current energetic weather system succinctly. Jonathan, thanks. What's helped recently related to coping is increased labeling of the zone. I recognize that certain times of the day, mid-afternoon at work, for example, are more likely to involve zones of inner jeopardy, and I remind myself to avoid immature coping actions, comfort food eating, etc., and that this would also be a disastrous time to enter into provocative communication with relationships. Becca, uh, would you say that these turbulent zones are zones of the pain body, wounded, slash wounded inner child? Jonathan. Zones of inner jeopardy are also not times to evaluate one's life situation, to make major decisions, to impulsively buy things, etc. You hunker down and either keep performing practical duties or journal and investigate what's going on inside, but it should, but should otherwise be reticent and conservative about outer actions. And yes, these zones are often related to pain body slash wounded inner child. Becca. So really, these chapters of um, delving into the wounded, wounding points are usually cathartic and transformational because nothing can be shifted unless it is triggered. It has to be active to be able to be worked with. Soul juice, though painful. The more powerful the work, the deeper the chasm and the harder it is to relate to the outside world while such inner work takes place. Jonathan, uh, for example... Mid-afternoon tends to be an energy slump for me. I get up very early, pre-dawn, and do my caffeine for the day so as to amp up writing sessions. Mid-afternoon at work, after a few hours of mundane tasks and distractions, I may find that my focus is slumping a bit. My inner child feels oppressed by mundanity and obligatory work, and therefore I enter a zone of inner jeopardy. I want a mood-boosting something special and or have pessimistic thoughts about my life. Is this an increase in soul juice or a predictable daily funk? On some occasions, the zone of inner jeopardy is a time of inner material erupting, and that would be propitious for inner work. 
At other times, the zig is better understood as a typical funk, and it would be too disruptive and not necessarily inwardly productive to make it into an encounter session. Sometimes probing deeply into a zone of inner jeopardy would be another version of falling for the zig's desire for drama. Worse yet, of course, would be to allow the zig to become an interpersonal drama. If that is your default way of dealing with zig, then you become a drama queen, a person whose every mood fluctuation must be turned into a public spectacle that must draw others into its vortex. Becca, yep, um, depends on the funk, really, exclamation mark. Jonathan, a subtle discernment is necessary. Is this a typical funk, or is it a funk that has a lot of interesting psychological content, content and one is in a place where it would be appropriate to investigate? Usually my unconscious is more likely to introduce the interesting content when I am in a situation where I can process it, say awakening from a dream, but not at work where I will be interrupted and have pressing responsibilities. It is crucial to recognize that states of inner jeopardy are ordinary states and to be practical and impeccable in relation to them. Part of the slippery vortex of Zij is that it insists that it is special and dramatic and wants us to intensify its vortex of jeopardy by getting us to act on the specialness. Matthew, I'm terrible at this. Jonathan, I think most of us are. That's why I'm writing about it. Also, I find that more practical than trying to do inner weather modification is to prepare on a daily basis for many types of weather. For example, I live in Boulder, which is a high desert with unstable mountain weather. I might get on my bike when it is hot and the sun is blazing, but 20 minutes later there could be a terrific thunderstorm, and then 20 minutes after that it can be hot and sunny again. So I try to remember to bring gear with me suited to different weather. If we expect squalls, expect periodic zones of inner jeopardy, we, be, we learn to prepare for them. Okay, here's another zizh. Time to remember not to make major decisions, not to make a major unplanned purchase, not to initiate a relationship drama, not to deviate from my healthy diet, and so forth. By preparing and undramatizing the zone, the squalls run out of kinetic energy and harmlessly blow off. Thomas, I agree with you 100%. I used to be horrible with this. After some training, I can agree that it is very much like a weather system, getting hints at where your body brain want to take you and change it. Much easier to veer away from an angry storm than to try to go from being in the middle of an angry storm back to a stable mind. Jeffrey, inner turbulence when finding out navigation systems no longer work. Emmy, mental and spiritual tornadoes. Look them in the eye, see them for what they are, recognize their importance, then journal them. They love the recognition. Then go outside and garden. Jonathan. Essentially, this is bringing mindfulness to mood. A great way to do this is to become an interested and expert inner investigative a meteorologist. Instead of trying to evade, escape, or alter moods, map the shifting weather patterns in real time. When I used to teach in the inner city, the South Bronx, I noticed that there were some kids, mostly African-American and Puerto Rican, whose ancestry was from warm climates and who absolutely hated winter. Because they despised cold weather, some of them, who had money to buy very expensive sneakers, etc., would not buy a good winter coat because it was like buying equipment for a sport they didn't like. This, of course, only made them more miserable in cold weather. We don't like zones of inner jeopardy, so therefore we don't invest in what would help us cope with them. 
Instead of cringing from moods and zones of inner jeopardy, greet them with fascinated curiosity. When the next zone of inner jeopardy arises, think of yourself as a storm chaser who is getting to observe a hurricane from a close but reasonably safe vantage point. Be intrigued by it. Aha, here is a live specimen right now. Let's see how this works. Take notes, e.g., zone started, 11 a.m., feeling stress, inner agitation, want coffee, upset about, and so forth. Note when the zidge is waxing and when it is waning. Like any storm, it lasts for a time. It peaks, then it trails off, and so forth. So pay attention to, to all that, and as minutely as possible. What does the zidge want to get you to do? Eva, this is, this is so full of self-acceptance. It's lovely. I think people don't get that. If they don't love themselves and their lives, they can't love anyone else. And being able to accept that you have moods and storms and all, well, you just might be able to love someone else as well with theirs. Jonathan, you're right. What is most likely to cause a zone of inner jeopardy is self-disapproval. Next most likely is situational disapproval, where you disapprove of the situation you're in which almost always contains hidden layers of self-disapproval. This is another subject I've been writing about recently. See Confessions of a Self-Aware Starship, a document slash podcast on the site. And meanwhile, the most useful practice I have found is to make conscious approval statements. For example, I approve of myself being here at work. Because I'm often ambivalent to being about being at work, I disapprove of the situation and subtly disapprove of myself for not being in a better situation. By making the above statement, I am recognizing that, for today at least, I approve of myself being at work. Being at work today is the path of impeccability, as compared to suddenly quitting my job or not showing which would be unimpeccable. And therefore, I approve of the work situation and of myself for being there today. The statement also recognizes that this is a volitional state and makes what might seem obligatory into an empowered intentional act. Self-approval statements seem to decrease the likelihood of zones of inner jeopardy, which are usually disapproval-based. Frank, a great post, Jonathan. I think when you talk about these fluctuations of the inner weather system, it's a reference to our inner emotional states. These zones of inner jeopardy sound like the stirrings of our negative feelings when encountering a specific situation. The word emotion comes from Latin, ex movere, meaning, and I'm sure I'm pronouncing that wrong, to move out. Perhaps a good way to deal with our emotions is to feel them deeply, find a way to express them, and move them out of our system. I've also found it futile to rationalize or explain away my feelings. Practically, to stabilize the turbulence associated with emotions such as anxiety, fear, or general stress, for me, an intimate communion with Mother Earth reestablishes an immediate sense of inner calm and peace. A simple walk in nature or sitting on the floor and breathing in the earth energy through the bottom of the spine or my feet um, usually does the trick. For emotional anger and rage, a good physical workout with lots of sweating or unleashing a, prolong a prolonged growl originating from the belly quickly subsides my need to want to throw a tantrum. These are, of course, great fixes to otherwise deeper unconscious issues that might require deeper inner work. Jonathan. Thanks, Frank. I, I agree that allowing yourself to deeply feel the emotion and allow it to move, but not allowing it to move you into ill-considered action slash speech, exclamation, is crucial. Possibly you are a feeling type, and this may be a natural center 
um, for you. If you're not a feeling type, as I am not, then feelings are often undifferentiated and they may be experienced as proto-emotions such as rage, fear, or anxiety. When feelings are differentiated into emotions, they may be more musical and able to be moved through than, say, free-floating anxiety. Definitely, nature and exercise can be game-changers. Cardio workouts are enormously mood-elevating for me, and the only price is that there are withdrawal symptoms if I don't exercise. If I don't exercise, then I am more prone to anxiety because I don't um, have the brain chemistry created by exercise, plus I feel guilty for neglecting it. So the approach I'm taking here does not presume that there is nothing we can do to change inner jeopardy. Often we can by um, following four things. Um, one is facing deep issues and taking action. Two is diet and exercise. Three is meditation and inner exercises. And four is earning and expressing inner approval. But often these methods are not practical to apply at a given moment. So another tool to add to the toolbox is the ability to function while in a state of inner jeopardy without falling apart. A doctor I heard interviewed recently was speaking out against psychotic, um, psychiatric meds, which cause cognitive impairments, said it's not good to be impaired because it's difficult to be a human being. If you're impaired, it's hard to pull that off. We forget sometimes that just being a functional human being can be a bit of a high-wire act. From another metaphor, being human means being in the pilot seat of a very touch-and-go situation. And that is the end of the Facebook uh, forum. And here's a note about Zige and time urgency. One key aspect of Zige vicissitudes I notice is a correlation with time urgency. Time urgency, also sometimes called hurry sickness, is a sense of time as adversary where you always feel that you are behind and can't quite catch up with life. Here's a link to a good summary article while you find the link um, in the document. Uh, time urgency usually means a disconnect from the feminine. We are caught up in the hectic pace of the industrialized world and feel a panic sense of not getting to where, where we need. Often where we need to be is off the conveyor belts and treadmills of hectic industrial time. We are caught in a paradox, trying to hurry through time to get to a restorative place, a more feminine dimension, but the more we hurry toward it, the further it recedes. Ironically, many will feel that the way to deal with time urgency is to speed up. If they hurry, maybe they will catch up with the carrots dangling in the future, and once they get the carrots, they will feel fulfilled. Fulfillment, however, cannot be outsourced to the future. That's the problem with time management. It only teaches you how to be effectively speeding through time. It teaches you to juggle more balls, and the reward for that is usually to be given still more balls to juggle. Stephen Reichstoffen's Time Shifting is an alternative approach I highly recommend, and you can see his book uh, called Time Shifting. A zig-reducing stance I've found for when time seems to press is reducible to a single phrase rolling through open avenues of impeccability. In this stance, I stop judging what I'm not doing if I am doing something impeccable. What can elevate Zidge is that by doing anything, I can seem to be neglecting other things. If I'm writing, then I'm not exercising and usually not earning money. 
If I'm exercising, I'm not writing and not earning money. If I'm earning money, I'm usually not writing or exercising and so forth. Focusing on what I'm not doing creates toxic time urgency. Instead, you approve of yourself whenever you are in a zone of value. If you are soulfully relating to others, working, uh, walking in nature, it emphatically does not have to be productivity time. So long as you are in a value zone, a zone where something of human value is happening, you're okay. Your stance is fluid, rolling, and you enjoy the value zones that are available and don't worry so much about those that aren't. If I'm alone in my room and on a roll with writing, then I don't worry that I'm not socializing. If I'm having worthy social interaction, I don't worry that I'm not writing. Zidge means that you feel like Hamlet. This time is out of joint. Instead, roll with the time toward whatever avenues are open that have value. Zidge and social urgency. Highly related to time urgency is social urgency. Social urgency is a function of our being social mammals and our innate desire to be accepted into, approved by, and to rise in the hierarchy of a social matrix. Sexual urgency is a subset of social urgency. Social urgency and zig tend to correlate for many reasons. One way of thinking about social urgency is to see it in terms of center of gravity. The more social urgency I experience, the more my center of gravity is not in myself but in other people. The more my center of gravity is outside myself, the more unstable it is, and therefore I'm in a zone of jeopardy. Achieving inner independence, androgynous wholeness, and not giving over your power to the social matrix is a vast subject I've written about elsewhere, uh, such as in Casting Precious into the Cracks of Doom, Androgyny, Alchemy, Evolution, and the One Ring. But for now, I think it's better to think about it generically and use the analog of center of gravity. Earlier I mentioned that I added a stomach hunger measurement mode to my Zig device. Recently I've added a third function which I call social tilt. There's a saying in graphology, the study of handwriting, that my writing points the way from me to you. People whose handwriting leads to the right are thought to be extroverted, and those whose handwriting leans to the left are thought to be withdrawn from others. When my Zig device is in social tilt mode, the hand points straight up in neutral, the 12 o'clock position, and leads toward the right, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, reaching maximum at 3 o'clock, with greater social urgency. It leans forward um, it leads toward the left, 11 o'clock, 10 o'clock, when I want to withdraw from others. Zidge is more likely to happen when alone than when in company. According to research, almost all psycho psychopathologies are more likely to occur when people are alone. When alone, people are more likely to cut themselves, display eating disorder symptoms, have suicidal thoughts, etc. If I am alone, for example, and am anxiously speculating on whether I have won so-and-so's approval, then I can see that the hand on my Zig device is tilted to the right and perhaps trembling a bit. It is showing that social urgency is elevated, and this will often mean that Zig is elevated. Notice that social urgency is not necessary for social, soulful relationships. The touchstone for relationships, according to the I Ching, is a principle called coming to meet halfway. And you can see a section of my uh, Guide to the Perplexed Interdimensional Traveler. Um, 
um, I believe it's called Meeting Halfway, The Touchstone for Relationship is the name of the section. If social urgency is elevated, however, I'm likely to meet the other or others more than halfway, which undermines relations. Meeting more than halfway, I want to do too much. Aim too, I'm too eager to please, give unsolicited advice, or keep talking about myself and forgetting to listen, etc. Social urgency is often what sabotages relationships. So if you are in a zig, check your social urgency. Get a social tilt reading from your zig device. If it's elevated, tilting to the right, try to come back to center. See if you can redirect your focus from anxiously gaming your position in the social matrix to being engaged with what is happening in the moment. What's happening in the moment could be a solitary activity or it could be an encounter with another person or persons. If you are in a social context, then seek to regain your center by meeting halfway and not more or less than halfway, in other words. Zig and body and IC scans. Often Zig correlates with certain bodily states. If Zig is elevated, do a quick body scan. Maybe you need more sleep. Maybe your brain is frazzled and you need 20 minutes of silent meditation with eyes closed. Maybe you are dehydrated or your blood sugar is low. Perhaps you are tired, overworked, and need rest and relaxation. And while you are in inner scanning mode, check in with your inner child and see how happy or unhappy he or she happens to be. Yeah, I know it's become a new age cliche to talk about inner child, but the inner child is an archetype and as much of a reality as the rings inside a tree. Again, a vast subject, but here's a quick introduction. Inner child appearing at you is, uh, is the name of it. It's find the link in the document. Perhaps you have been in grim workaholic mode and your inner child feels neglected and oppressed. If this is the case, comfort him or her Talk to this key subpersonality as you would to an outer child and find a way for them to get some fun and nurture out of the busy day. It is crucial to recognize and accept, approve, when you're in a zone of inner jeopardy. The usual and dangerous mistake is to disapprove of yourself for being in a zidge. This creates a destructive feedback loop, an especially vicious circle. The more you disapprove of the zone, the darker and more chaotic it becomes. Recognizing yourself in a zidge, you remember to be especially compassionate with yourself. Try an affirmation. I approve of myself for keeping it together while in a zone of inner jeopardy. See if you can locate any layers of disapproval that are related to the zidge. Make affirmative counterspells to counterman these disapprovals. Regardless of what, insert the name of the disapprover, Regardless of what Joe thinks of me, I approve of myself. Regardless of what I see in the mirror, I approve of my body, and so forth. If you find that your mind is issuing disapproval spells, you need to immediately take action. In dealing with afflictive thoughts and feelings in A Guide to the Perplexed Interdimensional Traveler, I give examples of simple techniques that can stop tape loops of negative thinking. In conclusion... Finally, let's accept that we live in a zig-inducing matrix. I found that the research about 18 to 50 is the toughest time of life is true. At least for me, it's true. Since graduating from my 40s, I found that negativity has been waning and positivity waxing. But even with improved climate, there are still storms and overcast days. 
With the Zidjwe, we don't freak out because of difficult weather. I believe the Swedes have a saying, there is no bad weather, only bad clothing. Be prepared for Zidj and adapt accordingly. I would love to hear what you've noticed about Zidj and any techniques you found that work for you. I expect that this document will continue to grow and would be glad to add some of your thoughts and observations to it. I'll send it to jonathanzapp at hotmail.com and put Zidj in the subject heading. I have numerous writings directly related uh, to the way of Zidj, way of dealing with Zidj. These could all be considered additional chapters of a book on the way of Zidj. And you could read one every time you find yourself in a Zidj and are able to get online and it's convenient to do a little bit of reading. And I won't give you the whole list. They're at the end of the document. Uh, but they include things like dealing with psychic entropy, rebelling from the pain body matrix. Don't let a thorn in your mind become a thorn in your side become a splinter in your mind. Living with dark feelings, and so forth. So check those out if you get a chance. And thank you for listening to Zitch, dealing with zones of inner jeopardy.